and uh, we're going to be looking at, at, at Revelation chapter 11. So um, I, I would ask you to say, God, please speak to me through the word. Yes, Father. Because you know, unless God, if we have, the, if, unless we have that hunger, God speak to us, then. It's just a clanging symbol. I'm, I'm, you know, we need the anointing of the Holy Spirit. We need God to make the Word personal and relevant to our lives. So I'm going to just pray for the Word this morning. And I encourage you, say, please, God, speak to me. Lord, as we come to the Scriptures, Lord, to this great revelation, the book of Revelation. Lord, you promised a blessing to those who would read it and uh, and. and Father, we want that blessing. We want to read it and understand it and, and uh, uh, be obedient to it. And so, Lord, we, we just pray that you would speak to us in a very powerful way mm. and minister to us Thank because you. we are Thank hungry you, for your presence. Mm. Lord, in Jesus' name. Mm. Amen. Well, last week we only got as far as the first two verses in, in, in Revelation 11, and I apologize for that. And I'm, I'm, trying, I'm trying to cut it down, um, so, so we're going to look at the rest of those verses. So if you've got your Bible with you, uh, I want you to turn to Revelation chapter 11, and we're going to start from verse 3. Revelation chapter 11 and verse 3, and are you recording a feed? Did you yes. <laughs> Praise God. Okay. And I will give power... To my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1,260 days, clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. If anyone tries to harm them, fire comes from their mouths and devours their enemies. This is how anyone who wants to harm them must die. These men have power to shut up the sky so that it will not rain during the time that they are prophesying. And they have power to turn the waters into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they want. Wow. Let's just leave it there. That's a couple of verses we've got. But everybody wants to know who the two witnesses are. Human nature, you know. Don't, don't we hate a secret? You know? <laughs> Tell me. It's like when your birthday comes. I, I, I want, can I just share a little bit of something with you? Uh, my daughter said to me back in uh, about March that she's got the best ever um, uh, present for me. She said, it's better than when I went racing a Ferrari. She said, it's better than going to see Paul McCartney. <laughs> now, I'm thinking, what on earth could be better than that? And she's been tormenting me. There's a secret. She wa I want to know. You know? <laughs> My birthday came and went, and I still don't know, because she forgot <laughs> the present back in, in, in Australia. She's in Bali. I said, that's not fair, you've got to tell me. Said, no, I want to see your face with that. <laughs> so, anyway, we, we like to know uh, things. And, you know, ever since the, the book of Revelation was written, everybody has tried to guess who the two witnesses are. There's been so much speculation as people have tried to identify these two guys. But one thing I can say with absolute certainty, without any fear of contradiction, is this, that there are two witnesses. Amen? <laughs> who they are, that remains to be seen. We're going to have a couple of uh, ideas that we're going to throw around, and we'll have a look-see. Um, but God is going to give us these two witnesses who prophesy 
to just remember as we've been going through the book of Revelation, remember we've had the judgment of the thirds uh, and, and the earth is devastated. It's not beautiful and green like this anymore. Uh, at this time in the book of Revelation, uh, the, the seas have become polluted, the, 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 the air and the fields and everything, it's corrupt, it's burnt and it's really devastating. And so the people of, of earth are, are actually hurting because of the uh, devastation around about. The, the world has been destroyed. Darkness and devastation have rained down for nearly three and a half years at this point. And so God gives these two witnesses who come to prophesy. Do you remember what the purpose of prophecy is? Encourage. To encourage, to exhort, and to bless. To strengthen, really. That's the purpose behind encourage. And so God sends his two witnesses into the world in this devastated, and he wants to encourage and, uh, and exhort them uh, to accept the gospel. Uh, it says in 1 Corinthians 14.3, But everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. So the message that these people bring is that there is a God that loves them, even in the midst of this devastation. And God will accept them even at this slave state. God will start showing mercy. I want to say that there's hope in Christ. Can you say amen? Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter how far you, you've wandered away from one. No one is beyond redemption. God can save the worst and the vilest of sinners. That's what brought me into the kingdom. Because I was the chiefest of sinners when, when, when Paul died. I took that mantle. <laughs> and God saved me. And I thought, hey, if he can love me, he can love anybody. And so there, there is nobody that is beyond God's love and mercy. You know, there is no sin more powerful than the blood of Christ. And everyone said? Amen. No sin more powerful than the blood of Christ. The blood washes and cleanses away our sin. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. So these two witnesses come to encourage the world to accept the gospel. It's, one of, it's the penultimate call to salvation. We're going to see one more call that God gives in, in Revelation 13 when the angel flies through the world to proclaim the gospel to the world. And that will be the last call that God issues. So this is the penultimate call for men to, 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 turn, their, their backs, uh, to turn their backs on the devil and, and follow the Lord. You see, it's never too late. It's never too late to, uh, to, to come to Christ. God is speaking with some of the most arrogant, resistant, and stubborn people. And he's still, you're right in the middle of Revelation, reaching out and saying, Hey, I love you. I want you to come and get saved. And for me, that, that is such a, a beautiful picture of God, that even in judgment, it's mixed with God's mercy. You know, from the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve sinned, when Adam and Eve rebelled against the, their father, it was God, our Heavenly Father, who went and sought out Adam and Eve. It was God the Father who went and sought out the sinner. And this hasn't changed throughout the scripture. The Bible is a book about God reaching out to fallen mankind. And here in the 11th chapter of Revelation, we still see the Father heart of God calling the sinner back uh, to himself. And he's saying, you you won't be judged, you won't... uh, you won't fall, you know. Um, praise God. There's somebody at the door there. Um, guy, would you like to... Praise God. Come on in, bro. Welcome. Praise God. So, sorry? Is, is, is 
always towards the sinner. I love that scripture in Second Peter where it says, you know, it's uh, uh, God doesn't want any to perish, but that all should come to the knowledge of salvation. Mm. Mm. You know, that, that's that is fundamental to who God is. And even though he's dealing with some of the worst sinners in the world, because remember how they were involved in, in, in Revelation 9, they were involved in witchcraft and the, the, the adulteries and, and pornography of every kind. He's dealing with the worst of the worst, but God is still reaching out to them. And uh, the thing that we need to remember is the world has changed at this point. This is now in the middle of the tribulation, become a very hostile environment to preach the gospel. Would you say amen? Yeah. You think it's tough now, but wait till the judgments fall, wait till God starts to stir things up. It becomes a very hostile environment when the hearts of the wicked have really been hardened. Uh, can I have that little clicker feet? Uh, this is now the Antichrist territory. There's going to be major opposition to the proclamation of the gospel. Thanks. Appreciate that. There's going to be major opposition to the proclamation of the gospel. In fact, I believe that these, um, these two witnesses are going to stir up such a turmoil that, that, that the, uh, the, the, the Antichrist followers are going to do everything in their power to silence and even kill these witnesses uh, because they, it's such a hostile and terrifying environment. This is going to be a turf warfare like nothing ever before. This is going to actually be fought over the souls of men and it is going to be the, uh, the, the, uh, the most amazing battle that's ever been seen. You're going to see the forces of darkness and all, all Satan's followers and their demonic arts come against the two witnesses who are anointed of God with the, with the power of the Holy Spirit who are going to do signs and wonders and there's going to be this massive clash between the two witnesses and, and the demonic forces of the Antichrist. It's going to be a battle royal, which will only be eclipsed by Armageddon itself, when Christ comes to fight uh, at the battle of Armageddon, when the Antichrist will be defeated. That's only going to be the greater battle. This is going to be an amazing time. But you need to remember that the age of grace has come to a close. Can you say amen? The church was raptured, and that closed the age of grace. We're now entering into the tribulation period. And so, uh, in, in, in the tribulation period, it's not the same as, as the age of grace. And uh, we see that when the people come to try and attack the two witnesses, uh, that they, God gives them permission to fight back. How many would really like <laughs> no, no, We don't want to go there. Okay. But sometimes I've, I've been witnessing to people, and I, I've, I've had that little thing, oh, yeah, I'd like to call fire down on you. Yeah. I never told them that. I never told them that. I kept it. But, you know, these guys are actually given permission to fight back. And uh, they, it says when, when they come to kill the two witnesses, the fire comes out of their mouths and consumes the, the, the Antichrist enemies. It, it, it's really, these are signs and wonders that will be on display like we've seen nothing to compare in the world before. And these two witnesses prophesy for 1,260 days. That's exactly three and a half years. So their ministry begins shortly after the Antichrist comes to office. We don't know exactly when it is, but we do have to tell that it's 1,260 days. My guess would be very soon after the Antichrist sets himself up, these two witnesses make an appearance on the scene and start proclaiming the gospel of, of the Lord, which the Antichrist is not too happy about. 
These two witnesses are dressed in sackcloth and ashes, and their ministry lasts exactly three and a half uh, years. Okay, I don't know if you, you, you know what sackcloth is, um, but in, in the old days, when, when I was growing up, we used to get potatoes mm. in like a, a, a hessian bag. It was a, it was a really rough bag, and uh, it, it's, um, it's, it's a bit like this, if we can, why aren't we turning? It's made from goat's hair and it's really itchy and uncomfortable and to wear it as clothing would, would be quite a, a, a distraction. And so it, it was normally uh, in the Old Testament when, when they uh, would wear sackcloth they would always cover themselves with ashes. It was a sign of repentance. So these... Uh, two witnesses come wearing sackcloth and, 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 and ashes. They come with a, with a message of repentance. They're calling the most devastated people in the world back to the Lord. It's very unpopular in the reign of the Antichrist. Talk about politically incorrect. <laughs> this takes the cake, I can tell you. Okay. Okay. Revelation verse 4, 11.4. These are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the whole world. So, symbolically, the two witnesses uh, that we're talking about here are represented by the olive tree and the candlesticks. Why? Because they proclaim the light of God's word under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Remember, mm -hmm. the olive tree was where you get the oil to, that was used for the anointing. Right. And so the light, the, the candlesticks, is the light of God's word. So these two witnesses are proclaiming the light under the anointing of the Holy mm -hmm. Spirit. That's, that's the imagery that the Bible is conveying here. So, let's get down to it. Who are these two witnesses? <laughs> okay. Let me say this. Nobody knows for sure. No one who these men are. It's based upon if you base it upon the miracles they perform, then we, we might have an idea. And uh, it's 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 interesting to look at that. So we're going to look at a couple of possibilities based on on the miracles they perform. And the first people that I want to draw your attention to are Elijah and Moses. Mm. A lot of people think that they are, are Elijah and Moses are the two witnesses. Others think it's Elijah and Enoch. We're going to look at the strengths of those, both arguments and, uh, and, and, and the weaknesses and just see uh, what, what we can put out of that. Okay, so we're going to look at this a little more closely. But one thing is for sure, whoever these two guys are, they are incredibly anointed of God. Mm -hmm. They are incredibly powerful and persuasive witnesses who wield the, 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 the power of God with great effect. Why do they say... Elijah is one of the most is one of the witnesses. Well, if you go back into the Old Testament and you look at the, the, the last book and almost the, 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 the last page of the last book of, of the book of Malachi, you, you actually come to a prophecy that God makes in Malachi chapter uh, five and uh, verse four. Sorry, four and verse five, the other way around. Malachi chapter four and verse five. And it says this. Behold, I will send Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And so we have a clear indication from Scripture that Elijah is coming back to minister before the great and terrible day of the Lord. Well, what's the great and terrible day of the Lord? That's the tribulation. Amen? And so he's coming back before the tribulation. The Bible says Jesus come, yes, that he's going to come back at the end time. And before he does, Elijah is going to come back. That's... Uh, has been clearly stated. 
So Elijah is certainly one of the candidates to be a witness. Uh, because he's going to come back before the battle of Armageddon. Jesus is going to come back and destroy the Antichrist. Are you glad about that? Mm-hmm. Amen. Okay. Let's have a look at some of the things that they do. Elijah was one of the uh, prophets that called down fire from heaven. This is one of the things that the two prophets or witnesses are doing. And so uh, it's quite possible that Elijah, again, we know he's coming back before the tribulation period. We know he's the guy that called down fire. Man, you don't want to contest with this guy, okay? Um, because he, he, he calls down fire just as the two witnesses do. There are other similarities uh, between Elijah and the things that, that happened. Um, remember, Elijah never died. He was one of the few guys that was taken up to, to heaven, uh, just like the two witnesses who will be taken up to heaven. Um, also, remember that Elijah stopped the rain from falling. For how long? Anybody three, remember? Three and a half years. Three and a half years. How long do these witnesses minister for? Three and a half years. 1,260 days. 30-day lunar calendar. Three and a half years. Interesting. So the comparisons really fall into place when we look at Elijah as being one of the potential um, witnesses. So, based, again, upon the miracles, who else could it be? Uh, I think we could see that the next guy would be our friend Charlton Heston. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Moses, sorry, Moses. He's supposed to be playing Moses. But based on the miracles that we read that these two witnesses uh, do, they, they, uh, um, they turn water into the blood. Well, Moses did that, remember? Um, and so it, it becomes very interesting uh, that we, we see that Moses and Elijah uh, could basically be fulfilling the miracles that we see described or attributed to the two witnesses. Remember in the New Testament, when Jesus was being transfigured, on the Mount of Transfiguration, who are the two guys that rock up? Moses and Elijah. Moses and Elijah. So we have a precedent for Moses and Elijah being on, on, on uh, at the Transfiguration, and and, and uh, you know it was quite uh, quite an amazing. Uh, good old Peter. He's so he's so stunned by what's happening. He says, you know, he just opens his mouth and rattles. He's a bit like me, and I, I have a real soft soft heart for Peter because he's always putting his foot in it. And uh, he comes. He says. Lord, it's good for us to be here. Let me build three tabernacles, one for, one for you and one for Moses and Elijah. So there is a precedent for Moses and Elijah having worked together. And it's very interesting. Okay. So, Moses turned water into blood, as do the two witnesses. Not only do the two witnesses turn water into blood, but they strike the earth with all kinds of plagues. Interesting! That word in the Greek, all kinds of plagues, is pass. And pass, P-A-S, is a very interesting word. It's very inclusive. It means all, it means every, it means whatsoever. And so when you understand that, it's saying that these two witnesses can strike the world with whatever kind of plague you can imagine. They can perform it. Man, these guys are really quite something. All kinds. Um, It's a very inclusive term. If, if you're under 40, we would say that these two witnesses are packing heat. <laughs> Literally. They can call out fire from heaven, okay? These guys are awesome in their proclamation of the gospel, and they're able to defend themselves. But they are powerful witnesses, 
anointed of God. And it's sounding a little bit like the days of Egypt with the rivers turning to blood and what have you. The other witness could be Moses. Think about what, what we're saying here. Moses and Elijah. Who was Moses? Moses was the lawgiver. And Elijah was the prophets. And so as we examine the two, two witnesses, you've got a depiction of the law, the law and the prophets being represented. It makes wonderful sense uh, to see that um, Moses and Elijah are one of the two prophets. Let me say this on record. I'm not saying definitely that Moses and Elijah, um, but I'm not ruling it out either. Okay. So you say, I'm, I'm a politician, I know, uh, but it is a possibility. But, you know, where the Bible is silent, we need to exercise great care and discretion. Can you say anything? Mm. And the Bible has not told us who these two witnesses are. Think about this. Don't you think if the two witnesses were Moses and Elijah, that God said it was them? They're so well known, it would have instantly and obviously brought clarity to the book of Revelation. The unfolding, the unveiling, the explaining. It's very interesting that uh, John does not um, call them Moses and Elijah. After all, he was one of the three on the Mount of Transfiguration. He saw Moses and Elijah rock up there. He's writing this. If it was then, he could say definitely, yes, it was Moses and Elijah. I saw them on the Mount of Transfiguration. Well, no, that's not my... He's silent. In the, in the Revelation. Why? Because we don't know categorically who these two witnesses are. Okay. It's interesting. I think that... that um, John the Revelator never actually names these two people because he was certainly in a position to do that. What about the next guy? That was Enoch. Okay. Others like Dr. Reagan say Elijah and Enoch um, are the two witnesses. And he's quick to point out that Elijah was a prophet to the Jews and Enoch was a prophet to the Gentiles. And so they represent the whole of humanity. And added to that, both Elijah and Enoch were the only two prophets in the Old Testament that uh, didn't die but were raptured to uh, go to be in God's, um, in God's glorious presence. Now, so, do you remember what the scripture is? Hebrews 9.27? It's appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. Well, these two guys never died. So, is it possible that Moses, Elijah and Enoch now come back in, at the time of the tribulation to keep their appointment with death because it's appointed unto man once to die? I certainly think it's a possibility. And it, 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 when you look at it that far, uh, it seems reasonable to me that, that the, the two witnesses could be either Elijah and Enoch until I consider the other scriptures. Okay. Uh, so the, these are the two heroes, but the, here's the problem that I, that, that I have uh, with these guys. Remember 1 Corinthians 15, 15? Let me read it to you. Now this I say, brethren, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither does corruption inherit incorruption. In other words, you can't live in God's presence in a normal body. This I say, brethren, flesh and blood, human body, cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Amen? Mm. 
Okay? Neither does corruption, flesh and blood, inherit incorruption. In other words, you need to be changed. And so I'm thinking, okay, if these guys need to be changed, it, it, it's, uh, if they're living in the presence of God, and we believe that they're raptured in the presence of God, they would be changed. What does the Bible say about change? We, we are glorified, uh, we have a, an incorruptible and immortal body. There are three fundamental changes that take place when we go to live in God's presence. Incorruptible, immortal, and unchangeable. So, that's kind of interesting. Kind of gives me a pain. But um, let's have a, have a look at um, a little bit further. So if Elijah, who was a, a human prophet, is now caught up in the whirlwind. Remember, he, he goes up in the whirlwind. And uh, I think sometime before uh, he departs and enters into God's presence, God gives him a glorified body because he's going to live in the presence of God. He's raptured to be in the presence of God. And he lives there um, uh, from, for a very long time. So I believe that he gets his glorified, immortal, and incorruptible body, as per 1 Corinthians uh, 15, 53, and 54. Why? Again, flesh and blood can't live in the presence of God. Okay? That's what the scriptures say in, in God's holy kingdom. So both Elijah and Enoch have been given their glorified, incorruptible, immortal bodies because they've been living in the presence of God. How many could say amen at this point? Okay, you're following the logic. Okay. Let's have a look see as we begin to unfold this. The question then becomes, if you have an immortal body, can you be killed? <laughs> no, no. You, how can anybody who is immortal be killed? The very meaning of immortal means you are indestructible. You cannot die. And so you, you cannot, you know, you are immortal. That's what it means. So if our two witnesses, Enoch and Elijah, are immortal, been living in the presence of God, have had their bodies changed, uh, will God put these two back into a mortal body so that they can go back to the tribulation and die? Mm. and be raised again in an incorruptible body. <laughs> it's kind of interesting. It kind of defeats the object of being immortal. <laughs> and it kind of defeats the purpose of, um, of, 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 of God's program. Remember what he says about heaven. In, in Revelation 21 and verse 4, God says, He shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death. Neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain. The former things are passed away. So having to suffer this all over again, in the case of Elijah and Enoch, and be killed again in the tribulation, is contrary to God's plan and purpose. Oh! <laughs> then they get killed and resurrected and get another glorified body. Does that make sense to you? It doesn't to me. I must, I must be. I agree with Dr. McGee. And uh, uh, he says... If the identity of these two witnesses were essential for our understanding of the book of Revelation, we would know what it is. Hmm. So basically, we don't need to understand who these two witnesses are. Okay? I'm going to say a couple of other things uh, about this. Um, but I, I want us to consider another possibility that we haven't considered yet. That these two witnesses are unknown witnesses. Okay, let's look at the strength of those arguments. We're meeting these two witnesses here in Revelation 11 for the first time. Is it possible that these two unknown witnesses 
uh, operate in the power of Moses and Elijah? Is that at all possible? Well, we have a scripture precedent, don't we? I mean, remember when Elijah's going up into, into heaven on the whirlwind, he says, and he tucks it over his mantle, and he says to Elijah, there you go, go for it. And he picks up the Elijah, and, and Elijah comes to the river, and he says, smacks the mantle, and says, where is the God of Elijah? And he smacks, and the waters part. And so he, he starts to operate. And he actually does twice as many miracles as Elijah does. So we, we see Elisha operating under the anointing that was upon Elijah. Could that be happening in the case of these two witnesses? I think it's possible. It's certainly a possibility. What about when, when um, Joshua assumed the role of leader uh, of Israel? Remember what, what he said to him? He was a little bit nervous taking over from Moses, and who wouldn't be? Um, and so God said, uh, said, don't be afraid. I will be with you. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And what's the first thing that he does? He walks into the promised land and, and, the, and the river parts, the Jordan River, which was in flood parts, and the miracles continue. Jericho collapses and, and off they go. So we have scriptural precedent for people operating in a similar anointings to those that have gone before them. Speculation. Let me say this. However well-intended, can be misleading. Mm. The truth is, the Bible doesn't say who these two witnesses are. Can I have an amen? Mm. We would be wise not to be dogmatic about it then. You can have your theories, and I, you know, I, I, they're, they're, that, that's fine. We can have different ideas about that, and it's not the end of the world. Okay? Um, but we can't be dogmatic either way, because the Bible doesn't state who these two witnesses are. Trying to understand who these two witnesses are from the things they do can be misleading. As we've just seen, God can use uh, other people to, to operate in that anointing. And what's more, we have no instruction in the book of Revelation to interpret the two witnesses by the things they do. Yes? Okay. So we are not told to, to actually see who they are by the things they do. That's not ever given to us in the book of Revelation. And so we need to be very careful and we, we ought not to be dogmatic about these. The fact that these two people, these two witnesses perform the same kind of miracles as, as Moses and Elijah is pretty flimsy evidence because God can empower others to do the same thing. I like what Dr. Fruchtenbaum says. It's best to understand these two men as Jewish prophets that God will raise up in the tribulation. These are future personalities and not men from the past. Is that a possibility? Um, I certainly think so. Uh, Truly, the scriptures declare in Malachi 4 and 5, we've looked, that Elijah is going to come back before the tribulation. Uh, and he will conduct his ministry during the tribulation. That is not speculation. That is scriptural evidence clearly stated. However, there is no scriptural mandate or warrant to make Elijah one of the two witnesses. What I'm saying is that Elijah is definitely going to come back and he's going to do his ministry, but he might be doing something totally different apart from the two witnesses. Okay? That's what I'm saying. You guys with me today? Okay. okay. So, whoever these two witnesses are, they are, they are proclaiming God's message with an awesome power, performing signs and wonders for 1,260 days, for three and a half years. Revelation 11, 7. Let's look at this. When they shall have finished 
their testimony. I love that. When they have finished their testimony, the beast will ascend from out of the bottomless pit and make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. Only when they are finished their work will they be overcome. I want to say to you, God has given you an anointing mm. to do what He has called you to do. Mm. And only when you have finished your work will God take you home. Mm. Until that time, you are anointed by the Holy Spirit to mm. accomplish all that God has laid upon your heart. You are anointed to do that. Mm. You will face opposition, but you can and must prevail. Can I have an amen? amen. Mm. Okay. I love what Dr. David Jeremiah says. I want to read it for you. He says, God's man... And the center of God's will is immortal until God is done with him. <laughs> I love it. You know, when you're in the center of God's will, there's no safer place to be. Nothing can happen in our lives without, without God approving it first. Amen? Mm -hmm. So the safest place to be is in the center of God's will. Even if you're in the midst of the lion's den. That's the whole story about Daniel. You can be in the midst of the most troubling circumstances, but the safest place to be is in the center of God's will. And so that, that, uh, I, I'll share that with you, Dr. So hold on to that. Okay. So, the beast, probably Satan himself, comes and he finally kills these two witnesses. Let's read on from Revelation 8, uh, verses 8 through 10. Their bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which is figuratively called Sodom and Egypt. Uh, where also their Lord was crucified. Why does he talk about Sodom and Egypt? Kind of, why didn't he say Jerusalem? But you remember, under the Antichrist rule, the Antichrist is the king of corruption. And it could be that, that Sodom is, 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 is one of the most sinful cities in the world. And under the rule of the Antichrist, Jerusalem could be actually apostatizing. You may see uh, the, the sin of Sodom breaking out uh, wholesale. You see um, a, a bondage uh, taking place. And that's why he talks about Egypt, because uh, the Jews were in bondage in Egypt. So under the rule of the Antichrist, you could see a decline in, in, in moral uh, stature and fervor in Jerusalem. And so it's named uh, figuratively here as uh, Sodom and uh, Egypt. But it's, it's to, that we don't miss the point he goes on to clarify um, that um, it, it is where our Lord was crucified. So obviously that was in Jerusalem. Okay. So, having said that, Let's go on. For three and a half days, men from every people, tribe, language, and nation will gaze upon their bodies and refuse to bury them. The inhabitants of the earth will gloat over them and they will celebrate by sending each other gifts because these true prophets had tormented those who lived on the earth. Their bodies will lie in the street. It's kind of interesting. That, that, that word street... Because, you know, the Greek is so much richer than English. Uh, that, that word street in the Greek is a plateau. And it actually means uh, street. It does mean street, but it, it indicates it's a broad street. Okay? It's a, it's a broad street. And so we look at this. It goes on to say um, that uh, the, they will lie in the broad street. In other words, the bodies will be there. Okay? Right outside the Damascus Gate is the widest or the broadest street in Jerusalem. Okay. There it is. 
This is just outside the Damascus Gate. This is one of the, 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 the one of the biggest thoroughfares in all of Jerusalem. It is the broadest street, right after, outside the and there's this traffic island uh, right in the centre of this broad street. Now, it's very interesting. This wide broad street has been given a name. It's it's called the the Hagna Vaim, the Hagna Vaim, which means the Prophet Street. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> this is called the Prophet Street, and it's the broadest street in Jerusalem. Very, very interesting. In the middle of Broad Street, the Hagna Vayim, the Prophet Street, there's this large traffic circle uh, and two olive trees. Remember what the two olive trees symbolize? They symbolize uh, the, the, uh, the two prophets. Could we be looking at the very place where the two prophets in the end times are actually killed and lie on display. Could this be the area where they, they are on display for the whole world to see? Very interesting. Revelation 11.9 For these three and a half days men from every people, time and language and nation will gaze upon their bodies and refuse to bury them. News once took weeks, days, weeks, months and years to get around the world. Now it's instantaneous. I like, I like what Dr. Jeremiah said. You know, he said, find me modern technology is caught up with ancient technology so to prove that what was impossible is now possible. Mm -hmm. I thought that's kind of a mouthful, but I thought I really liked that. It sounds very interesting. Until recently, this, this was impossible. But if you look at what was transpiring, uh, it becomes uh, incredible. You know, do you remember 9-11? I, um, I, I was living in, in Britain at the time. And I switched on the TV. A friend phoned me. He says, put on your TV. See what's happening in America. And, of course, we, we saw the twin, twin towers collapsing. I thought, this is incredible. So I phoned my mom in Africa. I said, mom, put on your TV. See, see if you can see what's going on. And, and so we were, we were sitting uh, in different places of the world, all around the world, Africa, England, uh, and America, and we were watching the Twin Towers come down simultaneously, something that happened. And you know, people have criticized this verse in the Bible in particular uh, because they said, how can people see the same event at the same time when they're all over the world? Now, technology provides the answer. And I think the Antichrist is going to use uh, satellite TV to herald his triumph over the two witnesses. I like what Gordon Lindsay has to say. In his moment of triumph, the Antichrist cannot refrain from indulging his hatred and contempt for the two witnesses by ordering their bodies to remain in the street. He wants to gloat over their deaths and, uh, as their bodies rot for all to see. The followers of the, the beast now celebrate the Antichrist Mass <coughs> by sending gifts to one another. Mm. So this is the only point of celebration in the entire tribulation period. And so they're celebrating. Hey, God's guys are dead. And so now it's time to celebrate. And the only celebration they had during the whole of the time, they celebrated God's guys are dead. Uh, and, and they sort of blame the two witnesses for everything that's been happening in the world. It's, it's really uh, quite devastating. Their deaths seem to prove the supremacy of the Antichrist over the God of these two witnesses. That's what it seems. But, you know, it's an amazing thing. All of a sudden, the illusion is broken. 
Okay, the, this, this illusion of victory and triumph is horribly shattered in an instant. The Antichrist kingdom is rocked to the core and the whole world stops and stares in absolute terror and disbelief. There was movement in the corpses. It cannot be. Look at verse 11. But after three and a half days, a breath of life from God entered them and they stood up on their feet. And terror struck all those who saw them. Can you imagine the, the poor old news anchor commenting for CNN? And uh, we, we're here in Jerusalem here, and we, uh, these are the bodies that we've seen lying here around for three and a half days. Just um, and the Antichrist is really enjoying. He said, "What, what, what happened there? Do, uh, are, are you seeing this? That, 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 that looks like he moved. He, he, hey, he's getting away from. I, mean, I reckon that guy dropped his microphone and ran for the hills <laughs> in absolute terror." <laughs> Man, you can't believe my eyes. Revelation verse 12. And then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud while their enemies looked on. What a dramatic exit yeah. from these two witnesses. Dr. Jeremiah points out that the world's entire population saw their death, their mm. resurrection, and mm. their rapture. Mm. Man, the Antichrist shoots himself on the foot when he televises this for the whole world to see. And these two miracles, the resurrection and the rapture, have a very powerful effect. They underscore the truth about life after death. Mm. That's mm. the major lesson that the, that the people in the tribulation, you know, they say, oh, you know, there's nothing. When you die, you die. But here, these guys have been dead for three and a half days, and they see for themselves... Uh, that they are. Mm. So it underscores the principle of life after death. It demonstrates that the gospel that these two witnesses have been preaching, the gospel of the kingdom, is the absolute truth. Can you say amen? amen. Mm. Revelation 11 and 13. At the very hour, here was seven, uh, severe earthquake, and a tenth of the city collapsed. Seven thousand people were killed in the earthquake, and the survivors were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. These miracles impacted the world. For the first time in the book of Revelation, we see these hardened sinners giving glory to the God. Mm. Verse 14, the second war is past and the third oil is coming. The interval's over. Remember, we, we had entered the, into that um, hiatus between the, the sixth trumpet and the seventh trumpet. It's now over. The angel uh, now sounds the seventh trumpet. <clears throat> and the seven angels sounded his trumpet and there was loud voices in heaven which said the kingdom of this world had become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever Ever. and ever. the words of Handel's Messiah that's where he got him from mm. our king is going to reign forever and ever mm. remember when they opened the, the, the seventh seal there was silence in heaven because of the things that were going to train Christ. Here, on the seventh trumpet, as they open the seventh trumpet, there is rejoicing, there's joy and rejoicing mm. breaking forth. Okay? Why? Because of the inevitable conclusion that Christ is going to mm. be reigning forever mm. and ever mm. before the, the fact is fully accomplished. In the same way in politics, do you remember every political election, there, there's a campaign night. Uh, um, Shane knows this well. And uh, there, there, there's a campaign night. And there comes a point in the election, on election night, when and hopefully your candidate is obviously going to win. 
And that is a moment of incredible triumph and joy and celebration. And, mm. and it's just really wonderful because you realize your man has won. He has not been installed yet. He is not sworn into office. But he has won. There is nothing that can be done about it. It's inevitable. And this is exactly what's happening here in, in the book of Revelation. When the seventh angel sounds his trumpet, it is irrevocable. Jesus is going to win. Amen. Amen. Jesus is going to glorify uh, uh, and be glorified in the world. He's going to reign forever and ever. So, Revelation 11, 16 and 17. And the 24 elders who were seated on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshipped God saying, we give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was and who is to come, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. Praise and worship in heaven. It's obvious that the rebellion of the Antichrist is over. There's nothing left that the devil can do. He's a defeated foe. It's inevitable. Christ is and was and will always be victorious. Can you say amen? amen. Hallelujah. This is what we're seeing. It's never been in doubt. He will reign forever. Let's give glory to God because this is the victory that God has given to the church. He's made it possible. He is going to reign forever. Hallelujah. Let's praise God. Just lift up your voice. Mm, yes, yeah, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. We all raise your name, Lord. You are the Thank you, Lord. We glorify your name, Lord. Verses 18 and 19, as we close. The nations were angry, and your wrath has come. The time has come for judging the dead and for rewarding your servants, hallelujah, the prophets and your saints, and those who reverence your name, both small and great, and for, and for destroying those who destroyed the earth. Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and within the temple was seen the Ark of the Covenant. And there came flashes of lightning and rumbles and peals of thunder and an earthquake and a great hailstorm. Mm. And that's how the, the, the chapter, it started in verses 1 and 2 with an earthly temple and it ends in, in the heaven, with the heavenly temple being opened. And we see the Ark of the Covenant, which means the promises of God are going to be fulfilled. Mm -hmm. Hallelujah. That's by this